Hi, everybody. This is Alan Fine, and I'm here with Ernest White II, producer and host of Fly Brother with Ernest White II. We're going to talk about his show, how it started before the pandemic and then refocused during the pandemic and has now expanded its reach to PBS here on Insider Travel Report. Ernest, thanks for talking to us. Thank you for having me, Alan. Glad to be here. What I really love about your show, I mean, I'm going to ask you in a moment what makes it different from other travel shows, and there are so many. But I love that you say in your opening, the whole world is our tribe. Mm. And not to answer the question for you, but that for me was what felt different. But what do you think makes your show different before we get into the details? Sure, sure. Thank you for pointing that out. I mean, from it's it's friendship and connection. You know, it, it's really what I've always found to be the most impactful aspect of travel for me is the kinds of people that I've met, the deep relationships or connections that I've been able to form um, quickly. And th- that is why I travel even now. You know, it's, it's why I live, which is to just really um, enjoy us as uh, as human beings, as a community, as a tribe. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting. And, and now I'm going to reveal that I've watched some of your shows. But in your Namibia <laughs> one, you're talking about the fact that people come there to see the animals and not the people. And that and that's exactly. an oversight. I mean, listen, you know, that's the thing. I've even lived in Africa for a while. I lived in Cape Town for a, a couple of years. And uh, the, the issue there, you would continue to hear people uh, talking about the grandeur of the landscape and the diversity of the wildlife and actually slagging the people. And I'm, I'm like, what what is going on here? You know, like we're all here together and yes, the wildlife and, and, and landscapes are beautiful, but I, it just, for me, it just didn't sit right. It didn't, it, and, and so, yeah. I, I also thought about it for myself and I was like, you know, we, we self-centered humans, you know, we want to go out there and we want to see things and we don't want to have to do the etiquette of hello, how are you? Goodbye. Cause mm-hmm. the animals don't require that. Correct. So go to the animals and like, ah, okay, goodbye. And I'm out of here. Yes. But a human. You have to spend time. You have to worry about them as well. That's an effort. You have to be wrong sometimes. You have to be, you know, it, it really, you have to shirk back from your ego. And I think you just reminded me of the fact that I was raised in the American South, which means that we were always told, you know, speak, open your mouth, say hello, good morning. All of those things were taught, Manage. you know. So exactly. It didn't, I, I, I can't say that it came naturally. Uh, but it was very much important. It comes in handy traveling. 100%. It's it's an essential skill right now. You brought it up, though. So let's talk about your background. Uh, (laughs) I I want you to brag now uh, because your bio says travel expert, journalist and professor. So tell us what that means. I am a former professor of English and social sciences on the high school and university levels. I'm also the I, I son. I believe of, you because of the accent. I wasn't sure. But that's <laughs> that was my horrid academic British accent uh, early in the morning here. But uh, I'm also, you know, both of my parents were high school teachers. Uh, my uncles and aunts were all educators. That's that was the family business was education. Uh, and so, you know, very much would have been my focus and has been professionally at certain points in my life. Uh, but now more into the storyteller realm and, and film and television. But you're also an advisor to some pretty famous groups. It's true. It's true. Let's go through the list. Yes. I mean, obviously, I'm bringing uh, a wealth of experiences from 
the storytelling side as well as just the cultural experience side and the academic side. And so with Condé Nast Traveler, you know, I, I'm engaged in discussions about culture and how we travel better and how we just show up better with each other. Uh, Impact's Travel Alliance, of course, is all about sustainability. And for me, in addition to environmental sustainability, there's also that human sustainability that's important. And Travel Unity, which is all about bringing in more diversity and inclusion into the travel industry as an industry itself, as well as uh, as a service provider. So what I, I wanted to talk about, how did we get hear from there. So you're a kid and, uh, mm. and I, and I read that somebody gave you a book about free stuff for kids. How did that turn into this? Yes, actually, when I was a child, uh, the preacher's wife at my church gave me a book for Christmas one day, and she was also an English teacher herself. Uh, and it was called free stuff for kids. And, uh, it, essentially you could send off postcards to many different uh, to, you could send off postcards to get toys, to get all kinds of little trinkets. But my eye was drawn to all the destinations, all of the DMOs that you could send off, you could write to and receive view books, maps, posters, all kinds of just, you know, physical, tactile information that would take you into these worlds. And I started collecting so much information maps from roadside stand and pamphlets from roadside stands in Florida when I was growing up. These are your posters um, on the wall now, right? My, I mean, there was everything that I could, I was just soaking all that stuff up. Uh, I would actually get my parents to take me out to the AAA office uh, and lie to them and tell them, oh, we're taking a road trip throughout the oh. United States and I need a map for every city. Oh. They'd give it to me because my parents were paid up members of AAA. But right. the whole point was that my parents as teachers stoked that obsession. To the point that my mom brought home a used filing cabinet for me to put everything in. And uh, that was kind of where it got started. Uh, I've just, you know, always been drawn to other cultures, always been drawn to languages, and, and, and it's never stopped. So I'm watching. So that in my mind, I see you growing up and this pent up. I got to get somewhere. I got to go somewhere. Yes. So as soon as you can go on a foreign exchange, tell us that story. I was 16 years old and I remember being going to the mall in Jacksonville and there was a, um, a little uh, kiosk that was set up or a table uh, by YFU, Youth for Understanding International Exchange. And I asked my parents if we could host a foreign exchange student. And they were like, no, but you can go. And so <laughs> yeah, I- <laughs> Are going to sleep under your bed? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, you know, and they were- they always not only taught school, but then they did social extracurricular activities after school and that kind of thing. It would have been a latchkey kid for the most part. But um, anyway, I ended up going to Sweden uh, the, the summer between my junior and senior years of high school from Florida to Sweden. It was an and incredible. But that was an interesting thing. You chose Sweden for a reason because there were all well, these I other countries. Well, that was one of the cheapest countries that you could go to. It was Sweden or Finland in that program. And the language uh, and, barrier wasn't bad. And that certainly you didn't have to have the years of French or Spanish that you had to have to go to those countries. With Sweden, you know, I showed up and there were four-year-olds speaking English. Uh, so, yeah, no, it was a, it was an amazing. I was 16. I was chunky, a nerd. Uh, and I was in the far north of Sweden. I wasn't in Stockholm. I was in a small town called Ronio, 30 minutes outside of Lulio, whose famous, most famous person at the time was Maude Adams. So, yes, I'm dating myself. <laughs> uh, she was good and, in the James Bond movies, sure. Yes, she was. <laughs> Classy. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, that, that was my first experience abroad 
aside from maybe a couple of family trips to the Bahamas. And that became an episode in your first season, but we'll get to that. It did. Yes. yes. All right. So take us to uh, 2019. How did this all start to become a show? Well, you know, it was commissioned, quote unquote, uh, by a friend of mine who'd been involved from college. He'd been involved in a small startup cable network. Uh, and he called me up one day and said, listen, you've got your travel blog that's been kind of running for about 10 years now. And, um, you know, we are actually wanting to commission a, a travel series from you. Uh, we can't pay you, but we can teach you all about advertising. It'll be a non-exclusive agreement. And, uh, you know, you've got great storytelling ability, a lot of experiences, and people want to know what you've got to say. So what do you say? And I said, no, I write, I write literature and uh, <laughs> television. Um, and so eventually- but You mean I have other- to get up from behind my desk where I'm hiding and I have to be with people? You know, Alan, it, that's exactly what it was. I had to not hide. I had to actually be in the forefront of everything I was doing. And, and that was scary to me. And uh, even the, the, the concept of the show was to yank my friends onto, on screen with me. So I didn't have to do it by myself to do it alone. And so anyway, uh, we, we started filming uh, with a small what season. What was the best- show called then? Well, it was called. It's always been called Fly Brother because that was the name did of it my, say my with, travel blog. Did it say with Ernest? It did not say with Ernest. Like it did not because that came later not. with 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 understanding of the project and what you're understanding with the job and the responsibility. Oh, you are a good one. You're absolutely right sussing that out um it was just plain old fly brother and uh eventually um we filmed again with a little bit of seed funding engaging with the dmos that i had uh built relationships with over several years as a travel journalist at that point and um you know in the midst of filming season one that small startup cable network went dark they ran out of money and so we were a cart with no horse and eventually, a series of conversations led me to chatting with Michaela Malozzi, who also has a show on public television. And uh, she was like, have you ever considered it? And I hadn't. And she introduced me to a few people. And that's how we got brought into the fold. But she also said, Ernest, you need to change your show name to Fly Brother with Ernest White II. And uh, she was right. And at that point, you were you were prepared. Um, I started to be prepared, let's say. But, but that first season went all over the place. Like names from, I it mean, did. It, it, it sounds like a big budget to me. Where'd you go? Oh, it was not. <laughs> uh, we <laughs> we started filming in Sao Paulo where I had been living. That was one of the easiest places to start. Uh, we didn't have support from the DMO actually at that time. I had to go into hotel. I had to call hotels, negotiate deals, um, bring, you know, I basically had to turn into a business person from having been a journalist and an educator exclusively my entire professional life. And so that was where, you know, the biggest growth has happened in just the producing aspect of it. Uh, Other places we were able to work with the DMOs to uh, to partner and uh, they brought us over and we were able to uh, to film wonderful experiences in Namibia, in Stockholm, in Tbilisi, uh, Addis Ababa. Those are the places, Toronto, uh, Bogota, those are the places where we had support, Tajikistan, Cape Town, uh, other places. Uh, we just had to bootstrap. But it's like a big budget show, it sounds like. Now, how big was your crew? There were two of us for eight of 10 episodes mm-hmm. when we had three for the last two. Me and one camera person. But you won awards. 
this first season won awards. Yes. So brag again. Let's hear. We've <laughs> thank you. We won the People's Telly Award for uh, in, in independent production. I believe the Nita Award. Nita happens to be our public television broadcaster for independent production as well. And uh, we won the the inaugural Anthem Award for uh, group um, impact. I'm probably getting all of those wrong, but we've won three awards and we did so on a budget of about, oh God, well, less than $100,000. So the idea of it having been a big budget project when there are episodes of other reality series themselves that are $300,000 for a single episode, to have done that um, over the course of three years on less than 100K um, and then to win awards and to have the distribution not only on PBS stations, but create TV and global streaming at PBS.org and Reverie, which is a queer streaming service. You know, honestly, I mean, the seeds have sprouted like kudzu. So now, like <laughs> Insider Travel Report, we all hit the pandemic yes, and you had to refocus and then travel did. Travel started to look within. So some of the tour companies and all that were, were, were really pushing domestic travel and sure. you took advantage of that. So let's talk about um, the pandemic and how you pulled out of that. Sure. Well, honestly, we were still editing the episodes when the pandemic started. And so we ended up kind of having to I had to record voiceover in my closet. My production team in Brazil was still finalizing edits and were like holding up. Post-production uh, is like quarantine. So you were perfectly suited. I, <laughs> you know what? I guess that's one way of looking at it. Um, but it's nicer when you're in a sound studio. But <laughs> instead of under blankets, that said, we release. So my point in all of that is that we already had uh, experience working in pandemic conditions, if you will. So to think about how we could move forward after a while, it was like, OK, well, several months have gone by now. We need to start filming somewhere. And it was a challenge to try and piece together an international season in the early days of the pandemic with travel having been so impacted. So it's like, all right, you know what? The U.S. is huge. It is diverse. It is incredible from a, a, a geographical perspective, the landscapes, the cultures. Why not? People, and yeah. so, as you said, I mean, we were having to look internally anyway. And we also had that racial reckoning that was spurred by the George Floyd you know, murder. And so in that regard, it's like, OK, how do we really connect ever more deeply with this place, with this country that is so fraught with so many different kinds of challenges? And that's to travel around it and really engage with the people individually. And that's what we ended up doing. And, and you know, we went from San Francisco to Puerto Rico, the Adirondacks and Newark, Kansas, Alaska and Hawaii. Uh, and in and, and every Natchez, Mississippi, Nashville, and in every one of those places, we engaged with people from all different backgrounds who really show that we are a nation of nations. And that has been heartwarming for myself, but also I think it's something that the country needs right now. And so basically, um, you're, you basically told us what the second season is, and that's what is now go, we're, we're talking about. Uh, it's going to yes. be on Create TV and PBS. Let's talk about that. That's correct. Well, Create TV is one of PBS's cable channels. Uh, their focus is on how to. So it's food, travel and home and garden. And uh, they are basically on most uh, cable networks around the country. So we've also got 
uh, our distribution on many of the local PBS affiliates in the country. So between the two, the local PBS affiliates and Create TV, we're hitting 89% of all US TV markets. And that's for season two. Season one is still rolling out on stations. Uh, you know, obviously, not only was travel hit, but travel programming was hit very hard. Well, I was able to find uh, if, if our travel advisors just go to YouTube and look you up, uh, I was able to find the two episodes I saw, which was uh, Namibia and um, Stockholm. Yes, so, we have uh, a couple that gets you started. And then if the, and then tell us about your website that they should go to. You definitely should come to flybrother.net, sign up for our mailing list. We've got some incredible opportunities for travel, for connectivity coming down the pipeline, something I'm very excited about. Uh, actually, over the next month, we'll be releasing that. So stay tuned, sign up, become a part of our community, and, uh, and let's connect. But you've got blogs that you've been doing for decades, I guess. But you also, and, and obviously the video, and you also have Flybrother Radio. Yes, I have a podcast, The Fly Brother Radio Show, which is something that I really enjoy, as you can hear with the dulcet tones of my uh, baritone voice. No, I, uh, I really enjoy talking. And so to have these conversations with people in the many different uh, media that, we're, that we have access to, television, radio, or podcasting, as well as writing. I'm a writer. I'm a storyteller at heart. And so the many different ways that I can do so, that's what I lean into. What's to come? Are you going to go to space with uh, Bezos and uh, Branson or what, what, where's the next next stops? Listen, if Bezos and Branson want to come on my show and uh, tell me about their favorite places in space, we can do it. I'm down. Oh, so, so you're gentlemen. not volunteering to go. <laughs> uh, no, not not quite. Not yet. I'm adventurous, but not that adventurous, okay. at least. But you know what? I feel like these are classy guys, which means they probably have a first class section uh, in their shuttles or maybe it's all first class like it's the Concorde. So, you know, I'm open to the conversation is my point. Uh, but what's coming down the pipeline? I mean, we've got future seasons uh, just because, you know, I, I believe what's going on in the world really um, gives us an opportunity to show people that connectivity, connection intelligently and with intention from a, a sustainability perspective and a cultural awareness perspective are where it's at these days, right? Uh, and so I'm excited about that, but I'm also excited about the Fly Brother and Friends membership community. It's a transformational lifestyle community for people to engage with travel in a way that is transformational. You know, it intersects with health and wellness, with love and relationships, with entrepreneurship and remote living and, 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 and many other different aspects of life uh, to just show people that there is that you can really have that magic in your life. And so folks will be so it's a subscription based service. Uh, there will be a core group of master storytellers that really are providing courses, providing uh, one on ones and, and, and opportunities to connect in person, as well as trips, merchandise, and other ways of creating a marvelous transformed life. And how can someone now become involved? Definitely come to our website, sign up at flybrother.com. Uh, flybrother.net still works, but you know we're doing that transfer. We were able to get .com. It had been held for ransom for a long, long time, but we've been able to, to secure that. So either .net or .com is fine. Favorite, favorite moments in the two seasons that you've uh, had? Do you, have a, do you have one favorite moment? Because then I'll tell of, you mine. 
I do not have one favorite moment simply because there were so many amazing moments. But I will say that in season one, in Namibia, meeting and connecting with the young girl, Beauty, uh, aptly named, who happened to see me speaking with Pedro, my cameraman in Portuguese, and just you know, such a, an amazing person, a, a, a person who knows where she's going and uh, is articulate in multiple languages in a small town in the middle of nowhere. That is where it was like, wow. And her life goals were so grand and yet so simple. And so attainable. Mm-hmm. That's the other thing, too. She was able to envision it and, and, and just say, this is what I want. And she will attain it. And that was amazing. Uh, also in Tajikistan, we were filming, not only were the people just wonderfully warm in that kind of um, Central Asian stoic manner, uh, because th- you, you didn't see many smiles, but you feel a lot of love there. Uh, but we filmed in uh, Castle Caron, which is at the top like 12,000 feet in altitude. It's a 3,000 year old medieval castle on the Silk Road. And we were the third camera crew ever to visit. The first was from Russia. The second was from South Korea. So we were the first from the West, quote unquote. And just to be able to do these kinds of things, pioneering things, you know, it's humbling. Uh, And then maybe in season two, I would say dancing hula in Hawaii, um, dancing bomba on the beach in Puerto Rico, writing songs with uh, country music singers in Nashville. There's so many different things that we did that were just amazing. Um, so right. yeah, I don't know what to say. You got to watch My favorite moment. My favorite moment. <clears throat> you meet your friend, Martin, who's, a, who's the, who's the uh, teacher and the, and the fire eater. Yes. Show off. Fire, and that's not my favorite moment. My favorite moment <laughs> is the next scene when you go to uh, visit Jermaine, who's the singer. And you're having dinner yes. with her and right in front of you is a candle and you just go like this. <laughs> and I don't even think you knew you did it. I don't even think Alan. you so perfect. <laughs> I appreciate your appreciation of the subtleties. That's where the humor lies. All right. Thank you. <laughs> anyway, thank you for talking to us. Great luck to you. And uh, I hope we hear a lot more from you in the future. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm here anytime you need me. And come on one of my trips, Alan. Let's go. Maybe we'll do a joint venture. Let's do it. This is Alan (laughs) Fine for Insider Travel Report.